Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 54 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Patrick. And I am Rick. And we're happy to be back in to your ear canals. Yup. Here we be. 54. 54. Epis- episode 54. Well, are there any uh, no- notable uh, things associated with 54? Um, I think it's... No, I don't, th- I don't know. Okay, yeah, I don't think so either. So... <laughs> Rick, how's your week going, man? Man, we have been we have been busy. Work is busy. It seems like uh, house is busy. We've got kids going back to school. Are y'all um, no? Uh, we homeschool. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. I was about to ask. Are y'all going back to school? But so yeah. So we have yes, one in no. homeschool and one in preschool now. Okay. Um, and so, because our homeschool is, is a little bit more difficult this year, uh, we have more stuff that we're mm-hmm. working on. And so, my wife needed a little break uh, from from child number two, from our little one. And so, they're going to uh, preschool, and then the oldest is going to uh, homeschool. And is that an all-day preschool? Like It is. Well, it's half a day of actual preschool and half a day of nap, which is the most important part of the day. If we're being honest, <laughs> your kid better pass the nap time portion. I want to. I want to go back to the preschool so that I can have nap time, and I want to earn that A in napping. Yes. So, yeah. how about you, man? What's going on in your world, dude? We are um, at time of recording. We're kind of in the process of packing up our house because we're moving in a few weeks. Moving, moving. So um, that'll be exciting. Uh, We've been somewhat busy at work. It kind of comes and goes as far as keep you know keeping us busy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, wife's good, kids good. Um, yeah, think things are things are pretty good over here. So can't complain. I mean, you could, but who would listen to you? <laughs> exactly. Really, would it matter? Yeah. So don't uh, complain. No, don't <laughs> really. It's it's not a good look in general. So. Um, Rick, tonight, what are uh, what beer are we going to partake of tonight? Hey, so the beer we have for tonight um, is a is a terrapin, and I so I knew we had already done one terrapin before, but I couldn't remember which one it was. And so, as I was thumbing through the sheet tonight to put this in, I realized the watermelon goze was the other ter- was the other terrapin beer that we okay. did, and you gave it five five luthers. I did. So, um, so maybe terrapin. If you do well with this one, you, you're, you're going to be up there in, in the brews. Terrapin, you could be the official beer company of the Beers and Bible podcast and supply beer to us. We're going to reach out to you for that, baby. We'll probably, we'll we'll probably just tag you in the post like we do everything else. So, yeah, we'll probably um, forget. So, so tonight, what do we got? We got the High and Hazy IPA. 
uh, from Terrapin Brewing. Um, and this is, according to the website, they call this a high and hazy IPA loaded with four varieties of tropical and citrus forward hops. The soft and silky smooth mouthfeel is obtained by using copious amounts of wheat and flaked oats, while the laid-back bitterness is achieved by the addition of hops at the very last minute. Uh, so they're calling this uh, an, an IPA with the with the. I, I still I still don't know the science behind what makes an IPA an IPA, but um, I guess it's the combination of hops and oats and whatnot. Um, but yeah, we're gonna see how this thing goes. Uh, we all know I, I historically am not a huge fan of IPAs. I've kind of grown on some of them. I've gotten a few that I that I like, but uh, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, the can is kind of trippy looking. It looks like um, a prop from that '70s show. It does. The other can, the watermelon goes a can, was was awesome looking too. Yeah, I think that I think whoever Terrapin's design person is is probably knocking it out of the park over there. So, I just love. I didn't realize the little turtle guy is actually. I guess that's like their uh, their mascot or something because he's on everything. Well, that, he's pretty a, awesome. He's a terrapin. Oh, is that what that is? I, like, like the Maryland terrapins. Are, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty really sure are, are, are. I'm pretty sure those are turtles. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I didn't know that a terrapin was a turtle. <laughs> the things you learn on the podcast. Yeah, it's a diamondback uh, turtle. Well, that explains why Maryland is so terrible at football every year. Well, I mean, except for that time they beat Ohio State, that was kind of funny. Yeah. Any, oh, no, any, they, they didn't beat him. They almost beat him. Anytime Ohio State loses, every time okay. Ohio State loses, an angel gets its wings. That is a true story. So, that is a factual truth right there. So, well, man, let's, uh, I think I'm ready to crack into this thing. I've, I've had a long week and I'm yeah. ready to, to dive into a beer and, and yeah. enjoy it. I'm hoping this is going to be good and, and we're not going to be let down like we were last week. Exactly. You know, so, so I just want to throw this out there. Um, I gave three Luthers to the ICL, and uh, it was it was good. It was okay, but something that I found out after the fact was that I didn't like it uh, even more. I drank one a couple of days later, and I just it was bad. It just didn't it didn't taste good. It was just it just wasn't very good to me, and. If this can be done, I'm going to do it this week. I'm actually going to downgrade the East Island Brewing Island Coastal Lager to two and a half liters. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so, going to so I'm gonna retroactively pr- downgrade. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm following you. Honestly, I feel like we could have done that. We could have gone either way with some. Like we could have yeah. like over. We could have uh, downgraded or upgraded any along the way. Yeah. Um, I had another island coastal lager the other, um, and I've almost I've had exclusively um, like vodka drinks every night since. So <laughs> um, that's how bad that was. So I mean, I'm not going to change my grade on that. But if you want to change yours, you're more than welcome to. Yeah, I'm um, going to go back because and here here's why. So I went. I was going. I was actually going through the list, and I was like, you know. Strawberry 23, Strawberry Lord 23, I gave it three losers. Dirty Beaches, I gave it three losers. Like, there, there are these other ones that legitimately earned three losers, 
and I was like, you know, this is a good beer. It's okay. I don't, I'm not wild about it, but it's good. Right. And those are in three losers. The ICL, I was like, this is not good. I don't like it. I, I didn't like drinking it the second time. Um, and in fact, on the podcast, I said, this would, the only way this would be good is like when you're hot and sweaty and you just like done something like cut the grass and you just want to chug a beer. That's the only way this would be good. Well, I did that and it was still not good. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying that, texting me that earlier in the week. So yeah. Um, yeah, you can, you're more than welcome to do that. that that's fine. So yeah, I'm yep. downgrading. I'm you, downgrading. You've already done it. Of course now, um, can't go back and change the recording, but no, from, you know, at this point from here on out, Island Coast no longer has a two and a half liters <laughs> a, from Rick. It's a two and a half from Rick. So, so. um, I was going to use this new tool that I got, but I decided that it's a little too uh, cumbersome to try to do during the uh, recording. Um, it won't, the can won't pop if you do. It's one of those. It's a it's a top remover, yeah. Yeah, it's um, called draft top, I think. Yeah, it's it's draft, we talked about them. Yes, I have a draft top, and I was going to use it here, but um, a couple of problems. It doesn't do the nice pop uh, can pop that we like. Um also, I, it's very hit or miss on how effective it is at getting the top actually off of the can. Um, and sometimes I spill, and sometimes I spill more than I would like to. So I'm going to play it safe <laughs> for sake of time and not spilling. And I just crack it open like a normal person. Also, little did you know that we're going to start reviewing beer trinkets. Yes. <laughs> the, look, the draft top as a as like a... As an effectiveness tool, like a three and a half Luthers, but what it does to your beer is like a four and a half Luthers. So, there we go. <laughs> um, I mean, just just based on uh, my experience with it. So there's a couple, there's a design flaw in it somewhere, or operator error. That's also possible. So, okay. um, hey, Draft Top, we're reaching out to you too. Yes. Enough <laughs> about Draft Top. Let's crack open this terrapin and terrapin. Uh, get it going. Here we go. In three, two, one, crack. I try to get as close to the microphone as I can when I do that. Yeah, me too. That smells really good to me. This actually does smell similar. I always go back to this one, but it smells like the flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. I think I think that one's like it's kind of like my standard. I think it was it was the first IPA that I really kind of sat down and drank. I was about to say it's probably the one that sticks out most in your mind because it was the first one you had, or the yes. first one that like you had on purpose. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. This has a good rich smell to it, though. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very not very pleasant smell. I have I have a feeling you're really gonna like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's only one way to find out how much we're gonna like it, and that's to turn it up and drink it. Yep, so here we go. Terrapin, high and hazy, IPA, bottoms up. That's actually not pretty bad. That's not pretty bad. (laughs) I feel like you were trying to say that's pretty good and not bad at the same time. (laughs) And that... I've always heard stories of people like saying, I tried to say this and that, and this is what came out. We just experienced for real. <laughs> yes, what we just did. happened. 
So if you're if you're familiar, I, I like a comedian. His name is Brian Regan, mm-hmm. and. He all, he has Hilarious. this joke talking about the U two phrase. You know, people mm-hmm. know when to say the U two phrase. The waiter drops off your meal, and you say, "Thanks for the, or, you know, enjoy your meal," and you say back to the waiter, "You too." Yeah. If you ever eat ever? Yeah. <laughs> we just had a very Brian Regan esque moment that, here. That so. was that was me having a, a Brian Regan moment because I don't know when to say the the U two phrase exactly. So, um, but back to beer. This is um. Hmm. I'm gonna let you go first on this one because I'm I'm gonna think about this one for a second. Okay, I, like it's got it's got good and it's got the parts that I don't like of an IPA in it. I can tell I can see both of them. Mm-hmm. So in this one, um, to me, I'm, I think I'm gonna give this one. Yeah, I don't know if this is more in, indicative of this beer or the beers we've had the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually going to give this one four Luthers. Four Luthers? Mm-hmm. Okay. The, um, it's pretty good to me. Um, it's definitely better than what we've had each of the last two weeks. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, We've been on the struggle bus for a couple yeah. of weeks now. And, on, and when we first started doing this podcast, I wasn't a huge fan of IPAs in general. And I'm still not going to, like, go and seek them out. Um, I'm not going to, like, leave the house jonesing for an ipa or anything um <laughs> what you're same, saying is you're you're not a hipster that's what you're but, saying. but at the same time if i'm at a restaurant you know if i'm on vacation or something and there's a local brewery that has an ipa i'll give it a try um or you know if i'm out at dinner and just want something different i'm you know i'll i'm venturing more into the ipa world a little bit than i definitely yeah. used to the guy coming from the Budweiser world. Um, and I, I I actually do really enjoy Terrapins. Uh, a lot of the Terrapin beers that I've had. Yeah. So, um, like you said, I gave Watermelon goes a five. Um, so, I want to give High and Hazy four Luthers. It's pretty good. The um, flavors, the flavor is like iconic IPA flavor. Um, yeah. It's not overly bitter. I think the IBUs on it said on the website the IBUs was like thirty eight, um, yeah. and the uh, ABV was like five point six percent. So it's a, it's a little higher on the ABV if I remember right. I'm not looking at it right now, so I think that's right. Um, but you know, flavor's good, texture's good. It is pretty smooth. Um, it tastes nearly like any IPA I've ever had. So um, it's it's going to get four Luthers for me. That's that's where I'm going to land. There you go. And that's that's actually about where I expected you to land. I'm going to come in at three and a half on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, that's going to be run of the mill for me too. The, there's like it's almost like a separation in the bitterness and the and the citrus flavor. It's like they they it's like they don't happen at one time. They happen at two distinct times. Yeah. It's like boom, you get hit with the citrus, and then the the aftertaste is the bitter. Yeah. And I think the bitter is the only part of this that I don't like. Like that initial citrusy hit to your tongue is is actually really good. So what you should do is like take a swing and spit it out immediately. <laughs> I almost did that. <laughs> um, so, that so, so, but I don't. I wouldn't want to waste beer like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, as I take another sip, I'm going to think out loud. Okay, do it. So. I don't know if this is a 
this across the board IPA thing or what, but it seems that they use more bitter citrus. Your grapefruits, your lemons. Yeah. Um, like this has a very strong grapefruit flavor on the front ends. At least that's what I'm experiencing. And what's funny is I, I do not like grapefruit at all. Like I <laughs> despise it. I I do not want it at any I point ever. I like grapefruit when it's mixed in with all the other fruits in like a breakfasty fruit salad thing. Dude, like even and grapes. And- even in that situation, I'm picking around the grapefruit. Like I do not <laughs> want it. Um, but when you put it in beer form, it it at least what I'm experiencing is grapefruit. It may not be, but what I'm thinking is grapefruit. Um, it's pretty good. So I don't know if it's the alcohol or it's not as bitter as a straight up grapefruit. I don't know. Um, that's into my thinking out loud. (laughs) Felt like you were going to keep going there. I, I can, I can feel that. And, and I definitely would agree. Um, Whatever that initial, I, I definitely think it tastes like grapefruit as well, because mm-hmm. um, it's it's like a it's like a tart. You know, you, you have this tart flavor, and then yeah. and then the um, and then the follow up is the bitter. Yeah, to, to me, the tart flavor at the beginning is like if you took a grapefruit and just bit into it, peel yeah. peel and all. Like if you just went higher and, and bit into a grapefruit, <laughs> um, that's the initial flavor. Which again, I'm not disliking even yeah. though i don't like grapefruit as a fruit like i i don't seek it out at all so right right so there you go there's what there's what uh the high and hazy ipa from terrapin brewing from rick gets three and a half patrick gives it four luthers mm-hmm. you almost kind of expected that one if you if you followed the podcast at all um that's about where where we both have fallen on on ipas yeah um and and so terrapin, that's that's not a, a bad chewing. It's really not. Um, your watermelon goza is still really good. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I almost uh, picked up another six pack the other day, but I was running uh, running in and out of the store and didn't have time to search for it. So so on their two beers, if we average the four ratings between the the two from you, two from me, they're averaging over four liters. That's pretty like, good per rating. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to keep coming back. Yeah. Also, you're batting eight hundred there. Yeah. Also, there, if your beer is somewhat easily findable in different parts of the country, also <laughs> a good chance that your beer is going to be featured on the podcast Huge a lot. Plus. Huge so, plus. but yeah. Um, nope, I don't have a thought. Uh, we're <laughs> moving right along. So, so that's Terrapin. That's the uh, that's the high and hazy, and tonight we're gonna kind of we're gonna keep in this same vein that we've been the last couple of weeks. Um, we're going back to the seventy seven questions, and tonight we're gonna talk about uh, is there proof that Jesus rose from the dead? And we're gonna do that right after this musical interlude. Welcome back to episode number 54 of the Beers and Bible podcast. We hope you enjoyed that musical interlude that was the same as the weeks before. Maybe we should change that sometime soon. I don't know. 
I'm curious if, like, how many people either skip through that or get to that point and just stop <laughs> listening. Like, oh, these guys reviewed the beer. That's all I'm here for. That's or all, that's all. how many people skip the beer part and go straight to maybe the we talk. should do a poll maybe we should take a poll on instagram like how Ooh, much yeah. how much of the po- how much of the podcast do you listen to beer review bible review or all of it both that could be fun can you poll on instagram or do you have to do it on twitter you can poll on instagram you have you can no. do it in the stories oh that's right that's right so anyway, let's uh, get back to the discussion on so Our listeners don't care. <laughs> they really don't. Welcome to DJ Random. So tonight we are going to talk about the the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. And we've kind of been doing this quasi-apologetic topical discussion here for the last few weeks. We talked about the problem of evil. Um, last week we, we really dove into like the foundation of apologetics, which is these different arguments for the proofs mm-hmm. of, of the existence of God. You've got the teleological argument, the cosmological argument, all of these different things. And then tonight we're going to, so I was, I was we were flipping through the book and, and I was looking at this question. I was like, this is a really good question. You know, people don't doubt that Jesus existed as a human being. Correct. You know, almost nobody doubts that. And so the next logical kind of flow in that is, well, let's look at some of the claims of Jesus. Well, one of the claims is that Jesus rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. And that is where a lot of people get off the train. They say, no, you can't prove that. There's no way you can know that. So, um, you know, too bad. I'm getting off the train here. Right. Done. And, and so the, the question for Christians, the question for us is, is it possible is it realistic for us to expect to prove that Jesus rose from the dead? You know, is is that something that we should reasonably be able to talk about? I mean, it's something we should be able to defend, yes. I think it's something that um, is core to our faith, and it's one of those things where if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then I don't know how you can say you believe in any other miracle of Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure where I read it or where I've heard it, but someone said that there is a reasonable explanation for a lot of the miracles of Jesus, like a reasonable, reasonable scientific explanation. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the resurrection, where there is, and we'll get into this more, there's like historical evidence of Jesus's death. Mm-hmm. But then you also have this claim that he walked and talked and and taught and lived with his disciples and with, like, after his death. That's where it's like, there's no reasonable scientific explanation for that. Yeah. (laughs) Because you can't can't say, I believe that Jesus truly died. And then... Um, if somebody actually dies, they should not be actually right. back alive. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, that, that yes, you know that that has to be a supernatural working by itself, right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and and could you, you know, I, I think there's a lot of the miracles, the so-called miracles that that people want to try to explain with scientific data, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe there's a way you can you can technically explain it, but you know. Explain to me scientifically how uh, a loaf of 
two loaves of bread and some fish can feed 5,000 people and there'll be 12 baskets left over. Yeah. And, you know, and you're not going to scientifically get into that one. And, and that's why I say like, or why I meant to say that there's some scientific explanation for some of the miracles yeah. or most of the miracles of Jesus. You said, you said some of them and, and you know, you, you want to talk about the leper getting up and walking. Okay. Maybe you can say there's a, you know, there's a time period in the Bible doesn't describe all of the events in between Jesus telling the guy to get up and walk. And then, you know, three months later, he's walking around, you know, okay, well, that's an, that's an argument to be had. I don't, I don't buy into that, but if you want to make a scientific argument there, okay, that, that could be made. Um, but it, the point was the resurrection has no scientific yeah. explanation for it. If you believe that Jesus truly died. Yes. And that is, because, that is because scientifically science has never risen anybody from, from death. It has not happened. Right. You know, there may have been people who have been without heartbeats for, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and all these all these stories that you hear. But there's nobody who has been pronounced dead three days later, gets up and goes, hey, guys, I'm not dead anymore. Yeah. And it wasn't <laughs> just that he was, like, pronounced dead. He was pronounced dead, like, prepared and buried. Yeah. Yeah. And, and put in a tomb, and the tomb was sealed. Yes. Like, there's, there's accounts of all of those things happening. Mm-hmm. And so... And then three days later, he, he ride, you know, he's alive and he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I was dead, but now I'm not. And here why I would am. You put, so, if you didn't believe the person was truly actually dead, why would you put them in a tomb and seal the tomb? Right. You know, if you, if, if your friend died and you didn't think he was actually dead, would you put him in a casket and put him six feet underwater, six feet underground and put six feet of dirt on top of him? No, you wouldn't do that. Right. So, you know, that's, that's where the disciples are. So that's, that's where we're coming from tonight. That's, that's kind of the angle that we're going at this. And we're going to look at, um, in, in the book, these guys draw three facts. Uh, they, they talk about three distinct facts. And these, mm-hmm. these facts are actually um, kind of the first part of a bigger argument made by a guy named Gary Habermas. Mm-hmm. I'm mixing my words up. I almost said Harry Gabbermas, and that would have been really bad, <laughs> which I just did. But um, so Gary Habermas is a guy. He's he's a doctor. Uh, he's got a PhD. He's got a PhD from Michigan State University. And and what Doctor Habermas did was he defended. He researched from a purely historical. Um, now he did uh, he did use the Bible as a historical reference because the Bible can be used as a historical reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of arguing specifically from a theological argument, he argued from a historical argument, um, and he brought the Bible argumentation in. He brought uh, some other stuff in, and, and he came up with what's called the twelve minimal facts argument. Um, and these are historically accepted. Facts that if these historically accepted facts are believed to be true by historians, by the vast majority of historians, then it's reasonable to say that Jesus rose from the dead. And and so he, he makes these arguments, and he's gone around all around the country uh, presenting and defending this, this argument. But we're really going to focus on tonight what the book focuses on, which is the first three parts of that argument. Mm-hmm. So So let's break it down. Let's take 
you know, fact number one. Fact number one, they say, is that Jesus died on the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think anybody disputes that. Have you ever heard anybody dispute that? I mean, the only people that you might hear disputing that are the people who say that um, Jesus was like a a fictional uh, character created by the church to justify starting themselves or something like that. Yeah. Um, for the most part, if you, I mean, regardless of background, religion, uh, educational status, financial status, regardless of any of that, I would say across the board, almost worldwide, people would say that Jesus was a real person. Yep. Jesus lived on the earth and Jesus was crucified. I, I don't yes. think, I think an overwhelming majority of people would say that. Yes. And, and that's been proven time and time again, is that, mm-hmm. that people would say that, you know, and they, they, they draw on historical arguments and, and it's, there's, there's enough extra biblical support to say that number one, Jesus was a real person. Mm-hmm. And not only was he a real person, but he was a real person who lived a life that was recorded, not only in the Bible, you know, it's, if, if, the only place we ever knew about the person of Jesus was in the Bible. I believe that would be enough. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we have all of these other, you know, sources, there's, there's Roman sources, there's Jewish sources, there's, you know, the historian Josephus talks about all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's, it's interesting to see all of the sources that support and back up Jesus as a historical person. And then the fact that Jesus was also crucified on a Roman cross. Right. Because Again, this is not just in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So what were you yeah. going to say? No, I was just going to say, you know, you talk about the cross. The cross was developed and perfected over time by mm-hmm. the Romans to guarantee the most excruciating, painful experience that a human being would could have. and yeah. the end result was always death. It was it yeah. wasn't like I don't I do not quote me on this. I haven't done my research, but I would venture to say that one hundred percent of Roman crucifixions resulted in death. Yeah, and well, what happened is if the person for some odd reason didn't die fast enough. They would, and it happened to Jesus, they would do things that would kill them. Mm-hmm. You know, they would stab them in the side with a spear. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, they would break their legs. So just just to talk a little bit about the the idea of the crucifixion, which we're going to get into, you know, um, we say that Jesus died on the cross, um, which is fact number one. The, the Just a couple of facts about crucifixion here. Um, yes, the Romans were the best at it. Um, yes, they had developed it over decades and and probably even centuries of, of perfection, you know, basically torture methods and crucifixion was a specific type of punishment that was set aside for a specific type of person who committed a specific type of crime. Mm. And, and most of those crimes, the, the crimes that were included for crucifixion were crimes against the state of Rome. When you did something that was against Caesar or or you broke some kind of, you know, ingrained Roman law, uh, you would be subject to, to crucifixion. And 
it was designed to be a torturous thing and it, and it lasted a long time. Mm. And so what they do is when, when you, when they nail you to a cross, they, you know, everybody, they, they always show you, you've got the, the holes right in the hand and then they've got the holes in the feet. And that's, that's, that is true. Yes. But realistically, more than likely what happened is they would put it right through your wrist. Mm-hmm. So you have those two bones in your, in your wrist. It's the, I forget what they're called up. It's been a long time since I've taken, taken human anatomy. But, but if you're familiar, there is a blood vessel, a major blood vessel that goes right through the, in between those two bones. Um, and it's where people who are, it's going to sound morbid, but people who are attempting to commit suicide, mm-hmm. they cut in between those two bones to try right. to bleed out. You know, you always yeah. cut horizontal, not vertical or whatever, however it goes. So when you put that nail through there, you're essentially, you're going to sever that, that specific blood vessel. And it's going to cause massive amounts of blood to drain out of your body. Right. Okay. So you do that on each wrist and then you take it and you put it through the, the part of your foot. It's, it's the top part of your foot that when you kick it on something, it makes you, uh, singe in pain. Like Peter Griffin, when he, when he rakes his shin mm-hmm. and he's just sitting there rocking back and forth. That, yeah. That, that's where they put it through your feet. And, and it doesn't just go through one foot. They stack the feet on top of each other and put it through both feet at the same time. Right. And so you, you, what you've got is you're hanging there by your wrist and with this nail in your feet. Okay. And when you're hanging, what happens is your lungs collapse down onto your body. And it makes it really, really hard to breathe. And the only way that you can get breath is to pull yourself up. The only way to pull yourself up is to put pressure on these nails Mm -hmm. that are driven in between your bones and to push with your feet where those nails are going through your bones and your feet. Think about the excruciating pain that that would cause. Yeah. And then when you have had all that you can do, you essentially just hang there and you suffocate to death on your own Long, you know, basically on your because your lungs begin to fill with fill with fluid when they can't mm-hmm. be, uh, when they can't expand, and so you literally suffocate on your on your own weight, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to talk about the the torturousness that was Roman crucifixion, I don't. I mean, I don't even. I don't even think we understand as as Americans as 21st century Americans the amount of of time and dedication that the Romans put into perfecting the torture that was crucifixion. Yeah. I mean, and so yeah, they talk, that's why it was safe for people who were the worst. Right. I mean, they talk, and there's people have said that like Jesus was not recognizable as a person. Yeah. Because of the torment that he had gone through. Yeah. And that's before he even got to the cross. And then he endured the cross for six hours. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you, I mean, to say that he was any less a man for any reason, like, I would argue he's more of a man than any man who's ever lived. Like, you think, like, he is Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Evander Holyfield and, like, insert manly man. Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson, Tim <laughs> Allen, like, like, or Tim Taylor, not Tim Allen. But, I mean, you know. He was like every man's most manly man. Yeah. And endured the most painful, 
um, embarrassed. Like crucifixion is embarrassing death yeah. in and of itself. You're, you're, you're naked. You're, on you're, the cross. Hang, you're hanging up there naked. Um, and Jesus endured all of that for longer than any, uh, like, I don't think anyone could have lasted as long as Jesus did. When you consider the physical torment he went through before you even got to the cross. Yeah. I think I would have died before I got to the cross, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, so you, we, we talk about the, the fact that Jesus died on the cross and that is, that is historically recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about, uh, Gary Habermas's 12 minimal facts, the first fact that he has is Jesus died by crucifixion. So we just went into all that detail. Mm-hmm. The next fact is that he was buried. Okay. Um, and so, so their next fact, fact that they, they bring out in, in the, the room is actually kind of like, or in the book is actually like a combination of, of Habermas's fact two and fact three and four kind of all put together. Mm-hmm. So Habermas goes, he was buried. This caused the disciples to lose hope and despair, and they were downcast. Um, and that is recorded throughout throughout history. He 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 notes all of this stuff, and then and then because of that, they were obviously not believing that that he had risen from the dead, which is what what they present as fact two in the book. The tomb of Jesus was empty. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's important to to talk about how they word this um because they don't say at this point they don't say jesus rose from the dead they simply state the fact that the tomb was empty mm-hmm. yeah and so so it's for for the church and for us we need to realize don't don't jump to the end of the argument when you can when you can proceed to the next step logically don't be afraid to go slow yeah you know so many times christians want to jump from uh, you know, hey, have you ever heard about Jesus too? You better accept him right now without taking people through the progression of, of introducing people to Jesus and then teaching them why Jesus needs to be the Lord of their life and why he came as a Savior. Yeah. It, that, I mean, what the experience you, you just uh, described is a lot like people who would marry after like, or marry uh, marry their spouse on their first date. Exactly. I mean, you're, you're trying to... to push a decision on somebody who doesn't fully, and I'm not saying that like we ever fully understand, but there needs to be some, like, it's almost like a courting period. People need to learn about not just who Jesus is, but what he did and what, like some understanding of why we believe that and why, why we believe it to be true. Yeah. If, if we believe that salvation is by faith alone, then we have to look at what the, the definition of faith is. Mm-hmm. You know, Hebrews 11 tells us faith is the confident assurance of things not seen, mm-hmm. you know, things hoped for. Um, and, and you don't get confident assurance by just, you know, randomly, willy-nilly putting stuff together. You get confident assurance by by saying no. This is this is how this whole thing fits together. This is how this is why you're a sinner. This is why you need a savior. This is who the savior is, and 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 it's walking people through those steps through that that process. Now, it doesn't mean that it can't happen in a day, but it also doesn't mean that most of the time it's going to happen in a day. Right. 
Um, and so, you know, we just need to be, as Christians, we need to be aware, we need to be ready for what is, is happening around us. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so that was, that's, that's kind of a sidebar to, to talk about why, where they go from yeah. Jesus died on the cross to the tomb was empty. Yeah. They don't immediately go to Jesus rose from the dead. It's not the cross to the, to the, to the resurrection. You've got to have the grave first. There mm-hmm. has to be a tomb. Yeah. And so. So they talk about a little bit about, you know, um, the tomb being empty and all the people observing the tomb being empty and how these are historically recorded, number one, in the Gospels, but they're also recorded in Roman literature. The, this is not just uh, something that a, a couple of conspiracy theorists have thought up. This is pretty well documented, pretty well attested fact that historians would agree that the tomb mm-hmm. was empty. Right. And so uh, when we when we get to the tomb was empty, that moves us into fact number three, which is that Jesus' disciples believe that he appeared to them. So the tomb is empty, and then Jesus' disciples believe that he appeared to them, even though they had lost all hope. Right. And this is where I was talking about Gary Habermas's two things kind of come together right here. They had lost hope because they believed that that, that their teacher, their their rabbi, for the last three years was dead, mm-hmm. gone. And and now he's back in front of them teaching in a resurrected body. Now this is not a, you know, uh, I've got I've got my angel wings and I've got my transparent, you know, body going on. Uh this is a it looks physical. It is by all appearances physical, but Jesus can do things that are supernatural because it is a perfected body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's how he appears to 500 people in a period of, you know, just a, just a few hours or a few days. And, and all of, all of these things are recorded and attested. I, I yeah. love, um, what, what some people, when they, when they say, you know, well, we don't, we don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because people don't rise from the dead. This is, this is the argument of guys like Richard Dawkins, you know, and then you say, okay, well, what about all the people who rose from the dead? That it's recorded in history that rose from the dead because Jesus rose from the dead. So you're quoting a Lutheran satire video here. <laughs> and, I mean, you're doing a great job, but I would encourage our listeners to go check out uh, Luther- uh, Connell and Donald meets Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins. It's a great video. Yeah. And and, and they they talk in such a plain way. It's, it really is a good, a good way to th- yeah. think about it, you know. Yeah. Um, when you, when you say, I don't believe in the sun, uh, and the reason I don't believe in the sun is because you can't count that giant ball of, of fire that I can see in the sky in during the day that doesn't count. That's why I don't believe in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> it's that whole argument that you, if you take away the evidence of the thing you don't want to believe in to justify not believing in that thing, then yeah, you're, you're ignoring evidence. So yeah. you're not you're not discrediting the evidence. You're not saying no that evidence is false because of these reasons. You're claiming the you're evidence saying, doesn't exist. Exactly. You're just saying that's not evidence. Yeah. And and scientifically speaking, um, this is to you, Richard Dawkins. Scientifically speaking, that's pretty dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um, something that the seventy-seven frequently asked questions book, the way they worded this, which was something that I like, I thought about uh, before is that the disciples sincerely believed that Jesus appeared yeah. to them. And, you know, you get to, you get, you hear arguments of people saying like, well, um, Jesus didn't really, wasn't really resurrected and wasn't really the son of God. And I keep thinking about like, 
weren't all the disciples martyrs? Like, like, like what? Pretty much. Like, like, all of them but one, and the only one who wasn't a martyr was Judas. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, so if you don't count Judas, all the disciples were <laughs> martyrs. Yeah. And why, so the, my question is, why would somebody die for something? That they didn't believe in. Th- that they did not believe in mm-hmm. or believe to be the truth. Yes. You you can take a lie a very long way. Um. I have yet to meet a person that is willing to take a lie all the way to the grave. Right. You know, um, does that mean that person doesn't exist? No, that doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that, you know, there's a reason that when people torture other people, they threaten them with either their life or the life of somebody they love. Mm -hmm. You know, um, at some point, Threatening the life of somebody will get people to tell the truth. And, right. and again, this is this is turning out to be a really morbid discussion. <laughs> a little bit, but we need to put a warning on the on the <laughs> we, podcast. We might need to, um, but but you know that that's just a that's a reality. And and so for the the fact that the disciples, all of the disciples, again historically recorded, you know, Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. Mm-hmm. All the other disciples died un- under the the pretense, under the knowledge that they were dying specifically because of their belief that their this, their rabbi had risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so, so you when you factor that in, it, is that a is that a historical fact? We can't really talk about that as a historical fact, but it does play into the reality that all of them were willing to die because of that. Right. And, and is one person willing to die? Okay. Is two or two people willing to die? Well, now we're talking about 11 guys and then look at all of the martyrs throughout Christian, Christian history and the, and the stories that come from those. And, and it just becomes an overwhelming amount of evidence that says, if you don't believe this, then you're really just kind of ignoring the stuff that you that you just don't want to listen to, right? You know, and so so it it leaves us with it leaves us at the point where we say, okay, can we say with confidence that Jesus rose from the dead? I believe that we can, and I I agree with that. You know, and and the reason I believe that we can is because of multiple things. I believe that history has taught us that we can believe that we can trust it. Mm-hmm. Not not just history from what the Bible says, recorded world history tells us that. Yeah. We can believe that Jesus died on the cross. We can believe that there is an empty tomb. And the reason that there was an empty tomb is because Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to all of these people that are recorded in history after his resurrection. Right. Yeah. So anything else we want to add? No, I don't think so. I mean, We've nope. been short the last couple of weeks, but that's okay because we, we're making up for that. Still making up for that one really long episode. <laughs> it's okay. Um, something that something else the book points out is the fact that the first uh, people to report the tomb was empty was women mm-hmm. or were women, and that you know Jewish law pretty much prevented them from testifying in yes. court. So why you know? 
if the tomb wasn't really empty, why would the disciples give these women credit um, and say, you know, they, you know, these are the ones that really that saw that the tomb was empty. Mm -hmm. um, why would that be written down in scripture? Yeah. So it's just another one. And, you know, all the disciples came from a Jewish background. They would have known Jewish law prevented women from testifying in court. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just something else to think about when, you know, all the intricate details that we tend to overlook, like Mary going down to the tomb to uh, prepare the body or to anoint the body with oil and realizing the tomb was empty. Like that's a, that's a, that is a detail that we know, but a detail we overlook and yeah. we overlook the uh, gravity of the fact that it was a woman who found the tomb empty and reported it back yeah. to the disciples. And, yeah. And, and I mean, even, even in that it was, it was Thomas. They, you know, they call him doubting Thomas. Mm -hmm. It was Thomas who had to, to see and to feel and to touch the wounds of Jesus. You know, that's, that's why I made the statement earlier that this wasn't some, you know, opaque spirit being thing that appeared before the disciples and before the women. This was Jesus in the flesh mm -hmm. in a fully glorified and fully resurrected body. Right. And, and, you know, Thomas touched Jesus and Jesus cooked fish. Uh, you know, when, when he was there with the disciples after his resurrection, he cooked fish on the beach right. and he ate. And so that as much as we want to, to think that this was just some, all some kind of supernatural existential thing that happened. No, this was a re reality, a physical resurrection, which is why as Christians, we believe that we will be glorified. We will be bodily resurrected one day, mm -hmm. you know? And, and because of that, that is what gives us hope. That is what gives us, uh, you know, courage to go on to the next thing, to keep going, to keep persevering, to, to continue in this Christian walk and to continue the process of sanctification that is so hard sometimes but we, but we do it because we know that Christ has already experienced all of this for us and he has gone to prepare a place for us and that where he is, we may be also. Right. So there we go. Can we, can we trust the resurrection? I say yes. Yes. And, 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 and really, if you, if we wanted to, we could say with confidence, because Scripture says so, yes. we can believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. But also, when we factor in all the other evidence and other mm -hmm. accounts and then, um, all that, I think that just adds to the evidence for Jesus' resurrection, not, uh, not doesn't take it away from it. Yeah. We, we stand on the authority of Scripture first. You know, the, the cry of the, the Protestant Reformation was sola scriptura, the, mm -hmm. the authority of Scripture alone. And that authority is only um, attested and, and shown to be true through 
other things. That doesn't put the authority on those other things. The authority is still in Scripture, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, hey, here's your authority, and also, just in case you were doubting why this is the authority, here's all the reasons why it is the authority. Right. So. No, I'm, I'm with you. So, but there we go. That's uh, that's the discussion on, on Jesus rising from the dead. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have some thoughts on it, you can shoot us emails or messages. Patrick, if they want to get a hold of us on social media, where would they do that? We are on Instagram at beers and bubble underscore. We are on Twitter at beers and bubble P1. You can find us on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcasts and finding our uh, logo that you see there on whatever you're listening to our podcast on. And then you can also email us. We are at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. And we would love to talk to you about anything we've discussed, uh, either with in regards to theology or if you have a beer suggestion or a brewery you'd like us to try to track a beer down for. Um, we'd love to hear that from you and um, we look forward to interacting with our, with our listeners. Um, we don't do much of it. So, <laughs> you know, if you, if, you, if you reach out to us, you'll get our undivided attention. Um, I feel like Dwight Schrute from the office um, when he says you couldn't handle my undivided attention. But um, <laughs> well, we can try. We will uh, answer any questions you have or um, if you'd like for us to discuss something on the podcast. We'd love to we'd love to find that out and research it and, and discuss that for you. So, But that's, that's where they can find us. There you go. There you have it. We hope you have a great week. We would love to hear you back next week or see you back or whatever back next week on the Beers of Bible podcast. Peace out. See ya. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. 